Gabriel will be at Aurora Borealis in Shoreline, Washington on October 30th. It's his second appearance there this year, but no one went to the last one. November 1st, Gabriel has a private show in Port Orchard, Washington. You can't go. Sorry. November 2nd, Gabriel is at the Shuhalis Theater and you guessed it. Shuhalis, Washington. November 3rd, Gabriel has a private show in Camino Island, Washington. He thinks he can't get a hold of the person who booked him, but at least he did get a $200 deposit. For more info and for all of Gabriel's show dates, go to GabrielRutledge.com. And now it's time to relax, laugh, and learn nothing. Because episode 44 of Happiness Isn't Funny with Gabriel Rutledge starts right now. And now here's your host, Gabriel Rutledge. Check, check. Thanks, robot lady. Best announcer in the biz. I'm in, uh, Rosemont. Which is, uh, kind of Chicago. Uh, I don't think anyone actually lives here. I mean, I think, I think people, uh, come here to shop and go to events. Uh, it's right next to O'Hare, which is why I'm flying out of Midway tomorrow. I'm good at travel. If my job wasn't comedy, if I had to book the travel for someone else, and I did it like I do it for myself, they would be furious. Uh, the shitty flight times and airports that don't make sense. I don't know if that's a job anymore. Is travel agent a job? Call in. Let me know. I'm uh I'm in the Crown Point Hotel right across from uh there's like a Rosemont Theater. I'm at the Zanies, which is close also, but there's a Rosemont Theater and uh I'm looking at the flashing sign of upcoming events and I keep seeing uh Baby Shark the concert come up. And I can't even imagine the fresh hell that that is like what is that do they play do they just play baby shark for 90 minutes do they they just keep getting increasingly obscure family members until it's like third cousin shark 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 shark, third cousin shark 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 shark, on my mom's side we've never met shark shark i don't know i don't want to go I've been in uh I've been in Chicago way too long. I this is an 11-day trip. Uh and you know, two more shows tonight. That means 16 shows in 11 days. I am uh burnt. Uh I want to go home, but I being gone this long cuz like my life is especially when I'm not traveling. Life is so simple on the road. I like, you know, I wake up as late as possible, have some coffee, eat some food, maybe listen to my set from the night before. Not the whole thing. I wouldn't torture myself like that, but, you know, see what I said that might be funny that I could say again, see if the new jokes worked, see why they didn't, Uh, watch some Netflix. Eat some dinner, 
I don't know, take a nap, do the show, have a couple beers, watch some Netflix, and repeat that for 11 days. It's a simple life. I mean, lonely, but simple, right? And then tomorrow, uh, I go back to the loving chaos that is my family, and uh, it's going to be a readjustment. It's a readjustment when I'm gone three or four days. So 11 days, it's, you know, I'm going to walk through the door and be like, holy shit, is it always this loud? Uh, oh, you know what? Before we even get too much into my uh, Chicago trip, uh, let's talk about last week. Wow! <laughs> what a podcast we had. Uh, uh, I talked about uh, my friend Kelly who and my old bandmate who died last week. Um which, I don't know, I felt a little weird about. It was a, you know, a vulnerable, emotional podcast. Uh, but I got some really nice feedback from uh, a lot of you uh, about it. And so uh, that made me feel better, and I appreciate it. Um, in fact, I got such good feedback from it that I, uh, I think I'm going to just, I'm going to talk about some more people I know who died. Um both my grandpa <laughs> both my grandpas were in World War II. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I'm kidding. I'm not going to talk about my dead grandpas cuz all my grandmas are dead too. Uh actually one thing about my okay, both my grandpas were in, one of my grandpas was in Texas during the World War Two. He was like an artillery instructor, uh, and then one of them, he did, he did serve overseas in the Navy. Uh, I don't know in what I don't know. My mom said don't ask him, so I didn't, and he never said. But this is the thing that I always know about that grandpa is he lied about his age to get into the Navy. He was actually too young to be in the Navy, which is always pretty amazing to me. Uh, one, that you would, I guess, care so much that you would want to get into the military before you were legally allowed to. And uh, the other part is like, just what a weird time where there was no records or computers or where it was just like, how old are you? 18. Well, you got a mustache. Looks good to me. Let's go. You know, you didn't have to verify anything. You didn't have to, you know. It's like that Catch Me If You Can movie, which I haven't seen the movie, but I read the book. But it's this, like, scammer guy from the 1960s, I believe. He would just, like, he found out where pilots got their uniforms from and bought a uniform and just walked onto flights for years. Uh, shit's not that easy anymore. Believe me, I've tried. I've worn sweatpants and said I was a pilot on my day off, and uh, I didn't get anything. Also, not that everything's about comedy, but it is for me. Uh, you know, that idea that uh, you could just steal a pilot outfit and pretend you were a pilot... That's a ridiculous idea, but that's literally what being a comedian is like. The training for being a comedian is just 
start flying the plane. Go to an open mic, start flying the plane. You know, I've been doing it 19 years. I'm a comedian. Someone who uh, works an office job and did open mic for the first time last night, they were also a comedian. Uh, there's not a lot of, I guess there's rankings. I don't know what. <laughs> They're a private, I'm a lieutenant. Kevin Hart's a general. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a crazy thing. And everyone gets judged by the same standard of, like, like sometimes if I go to an open mic and someone will say, like, you were the best one here, <laughs> which, I mean, sometimes I'm trying new stuff, so I'm not the best one there. But uh, sometimes if it goes well, they'll be like, you were, like, the best one here. And I'm like, I fucking hope so. You know, not that, not that that's why I went to the open mic, but... There could never be a comedian army, though. It's not, we can't, we can't agree on anything. Everyone thinks they're a general. Even if you were in the infantry, you'd, you'd, you'd be telling everyone, normally I am a general. Just not this weekend. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of an inside comedy joke, but, uh, uh, that's a very funny thing that people say who are comedians who are not. Like, they're the middle act for that week, and they'll be like, but normally I headline. Uh, it's funny, though, because every time uh, every time I do middle, in my head, I'm like, but normally I headline. I just don't say it. Uh, I wanted to talk about one of the uh, responses I got from uh, the last episode. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's personal and it's about family tragedy and it's not everyone's business. But uh, I am going to share one part of it because uh, I thought it was impressive. If you if you want to contact me, Gabriel at GabrielRutledge.com or uh, message me on one of, one of my social medias uh, like Sean did on my Facebook fan page, my comedy page. Uh like I said, um, you know, he shared some of his own family's stuff. Uh, but he, he had a little, uh, he had said something at the end that I was like, holy shit, man. That's pretty profound. Uh, this is the quote I'm going to read you that Sean put in his message. We hold on to what we do have because what I do have are enough pieces that make life worth living. I mean, holy shit, Sean. I was uh, I was sitting in a restaurant uh, here in the hotel I'm at. Actually, Caddyshack is the name of the restaurant. Owned by the Murray brothers, Bill Murray and his brothers. Eat, drink, and be Murray. Get it? But I read that message and I was like, holy shit, man. That's... Uh, that's pretty deep. That's pretty meaningful. And that's, uh, pretty inspirational. We hold on to what we do have because what I do have are enough pieces that make life worth living. I, uh, you know, I wanted to read that. Maybe someone needs to hear it. Uh, I read that to my wife, who is a bit of a grief expert. Um, 
because she, uh, well, I guess sadly she's a grief expert, sort of, because her dad died when she was 16. But uh, what I mean is she volunteers at a children's grief group once a week and does a grief camp uh, every summer for a couple days. Uh, and, uh, you know, I actually, I read that to her and she was like, wow, I'm, I mean, I might bring that up a group. It's so goddamn good. Um, so thank you, Sean, for, uh, I was vulnerable with you, but you were vulnerable with me and, uh, I appreciate it. I, uh, Christy is my, uh, life historian and like a lot of these, these old Kelly, band bunnyfoot charm stories uh my wife was there or at least around and so she can uh, put together the pieces uh that i don't remember and uh i mentioned last week that one time we were at a uh one of our first shows in uh, kitsap county at some grange hall and some nazi skinhead started a fight and we all hid in the kitchen uh and uh, Christy reminded me that, well, Kelly didn't hide in the kitchen. Kelly was the one who didn't hide. But Christy reminded me uh, that at first she didn't hide in the kitchen. She sort of stood out there where the shit was going down. And then uh, myself and John, the other guy in the band, were like, Christy, get the fuck in here. What are you doing? Because, uh, I don't know, she she felt some sort of weird obligation to be like one of the guys. Uh, she should have looked over and seen that uh, the other guys were cowering in the kitchen where it was safe. Looking for weapons in case anyone came in. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of, it actually reminds me of uh, one of my very, very first comedy bits was about how every fight I've ever almost been in is because a four foot eight girl right next to me is screaming shut the fuck up to some giant dude uh kind of reminds me of that i don't i don't know why uh women historically have so many terrible terrible violent things happen to them but it seems like in a fight situation in public they sort of assume there won't be a problem. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I'm not sure why it is, but, uh, I had forgotten that part. I had forgotten that, uh, John and I had to <laughs> scream at Christy to also hide with us. I asked her, were you going to throw punches? What were you going to do? She's like, I don't know. Uh, but she also, Christy also reminded me that, uh, of a person who was there while well, Kelly's girlfriend was there, I, which I kind of remembered, but, I'm not going to say her name, but Christy reminded me this girl that I guess I hoped was going to be my girlfriend was also there. Uh, I think I brought her up before on a previous podcast episode when I talked about how I asked out a girl who worked at a subway I went to all the time. And I was so proud of myself for asking out a stranger, basically, that... I really wanted the relationship to be something as my reward for being brave. And, uh, but man, I mean, she was not a punk rock person. If I was trying to impress her by taking her to see my questionably talented band at age 19, uh, and then there was a skinhead fight that broke out. It's really, it's really no wonder, uh, we never took off as a couple. 
that's not the start of anyone's uh, relationship origin story where it's like, I knew we were in love when on our third date we hid in the kitchen from neo-Nazi skinheads. Our eyes caught over the stainless steel counter of the kitchen as some racists fought some punk rock kids. That's when we knew. But, you know, last week I said, uh, when I think back on my band memories, it's not about the band, it's about the friendships. And uh, that got me thinking. That got me thinking about a, a story of friendship that had to do with that girl. Because uh, I would hang out with that girl. Uh, and I'm trying really hard not to say her name. I have not talked to her in, you know, 25 years or something. But uh, I don't know. We would. She would be flirty. We would hang out. She said she didn't really want a relationship. Uh, and then over time, it just it kind of came out she was... I mean, she was in a lot of relationships, or at least a lot of hookups, and uh, I am not what you call a closer, uh, especially at that time. I did not, uh, <laughs> I, you know, what's the opposite of, maybe the opposite of big dick energy isn't little dick energy, it's virgin dick energy. We are like, if you want to, I'm fine either way, it's cool. Uh, so yeah, I think maybe we... We weren't physical, really. I thought we were going to be, and then it, I guess, you know, like I said, I thought, well, I believed her. I'm like, oh, she just, you know, she needs to be alone right now, because that's something people in their early 20s say. I need some alone time. I'm just getting out of a long-term thing. Actually, that is what she told me. She just got out of a long-term thing uh, with a woman, and so that part of me was like, well, maybe she isn't like, man, whatever. She did. Uh, but anyway, one time she came over, uh, to our apartment, uh, B302. <laughs> That's what everyone called it, but I don't even remember the name of the apartment complex. I just remember it was B302. And, uh, what a shithole. I mean, not when it started, but it, you know, the first place I ever lived besides my parents' house, and I remember the the Olympian, which is like the our the local Olympian newspaper, someone came to the door like the first week we were there, and they were like, "Would you like to get the Olympian newspaper? It's whatever thirty dollars for six months." So I was like, "Sure." What a mistake! Our apartment was ankle high in newspapers. I mean, we lived in a birdcage. It was just nothing but newspapers all over that fucking place. Plus, we, John and I worked at different pizza restaurant, pizza boxes and garbage and shit and beer bottles. And, you know, we smoked in the apartment. It was a shithole. Uh, it was like a brand new apartment when we moved in, I think, or at least less than a year old. And it was... uh you know, when we finally cleaned everything out and looked at the carpet, it looked like, you know, a map of the world in brown. Uh, so, you know, it, uh, it, w it was a dump. I slept in the, I had a little bed in the living room 
Kelly was in the closet when he was in town, and John had a bunk bed in the bedroom. But then I eventually made John let me sleep in the bunk because uh, I'd be like sleeping in the living room bed, and Kelly would be watching like MTV at nine in the morning. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Anyway, one night, uh, this girl came over, and she was drunk. Ugh, is this a bad story? Hmm. Uh, we used to have sex with drunk people. I'll just say that. It was a different time. Um, I didn't have sex with her, but she came over and she was like, she's like, I'm kind of fucked up. And she basically like made it known that she was like, she was being like really physical and kissing me. And I'm like, whoa, I don't really understand what's happening, but this is a, this is a great new development. And then I think, John and Kelly were already there, or uh, they came back from somewhere, and she kind of, <laughs> how should I say this? She didn't, like, start kissing them or anything, but she kind of made it known that she wanted to do something with anyone. Like, it, she didn't, she may have come over because she knew me, but she was down for whatever with anyone, or maybe all of us. And my friends, my friends were like, you know what? Uh, Gabe needs this one. He needs this one. And so they left me alone and at what the time was John's room and uh, did not have sex. But, you know, did some other stuff. Did some, uh, as we call it in church youth group, heavy petting. Uh or as we also called it in church youth group, everything but. Uh, actually, that sounds like anal, but <laughs> that thing that apparently Christian people do, where Christian kids do, where they only have anal sex to keep their virginity, that was not a thing that was going around uh, my youth group. I can tell you that. We just stuck to dry humping and shame. Uh, but that's a story of friendship, okay? Maybe it's a story of drunk people and consent, but I mean, I'm the one who consent. Anyway, I don't want to make it too weird. I think I literally said at the time, are you sure you want to do this when you're drunk? And she just looked at me like, you're adorable. Take your pants off. But, uh, and that was it. That was it for me and, uh, me and that girl. That was uh, as close as we ever got was that one night. Uh, I didn't say it was a sweet story. I said it was a story of friendship. Okay. Hello, this is a commercial word for Anchor Podcasts, the easiest way to host your podcast. Um, if you don't have a podcast, congratulations. You probably have an enjoyable life full of friends, family, and fun. Uh, but if you do have a podcast, um, I'm sorry, and you should use Anchor Podcasts. Uh, it's easy, it's free. Uh, they distribute everything for you. They give you sponsorship, which apparently is just talking about Anchor. I guess that's their sponsorship, but I don't want to brag, but I make, you know, maybe six bucks a month doing this. So worth it? Of course it is. Uh, go to anchor.fm or the Anchor app. We now return to another riveting episode of The Rutledges. 
Uh, like I said, I'm in uh, Rosemont now. Uh, last week for, s- well, I guess <clears throat> Wednesday through Tuesday, I was at an old town, Chicago, which uh, is where the other Zanies is. Which that's a that's an interesting neighborhood. Like I, it, I guess I call it brunchy. Is that a word? I'd call it brunchy. I'm always, uh, I was worried about being underdressed when I was walking around today because I don't know if it was like brunch day or something. Everyone was outside. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this neighborhood, but it's like a Lululemon fucking L.L. Bean. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> she could use that. I'm not taking it with me. But yeah, I got to stay. The Zanies has an apartment that's kind of like behind the club. Uh, I guess it's like a block walk, but it's, uh, Second City is, uh, like right across the street, the improv place. Uh, there's this great bar, uh, called the Ale House that I went to way too many times. Um, which, uh, I don't know, they have all this weird art that's like pictures of, uh, it's like paintings of like, it'll be like a naked Sarah Palin. It's like a lot of politicians naked doing sexual things. It's very odd paintings all over the wall. And, uh, a lot of famous Chicago people. It's like one of those bars that like, I think, uh, um, Anthony Bourdain's show appeared there. There's like pictures of, uh, the actor Michael Shannon hanging out there. Uh, Roger Ebert. Or was it Siskel? Like, it's, you know, it's sort of a landmark, been there forever. Uh, great bar. They have one picture of a comedian who was not, well, they have some from, like, Second City. They have, like, uh, you know, like Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and shit. But they have one headshot of a stand-up comic, uh, John Fox. And he actually used to live in the building where the... Uh, the Zany's apartment is. He used to live there. And John Fox, I mean, he's more infamous than famous. He's like, well, he, like when I started comedy and like comedy condos were more of a thing where like everyone would, all the comedians, you know, two or three of them would be staying in this same apartment all week, every week. Um, that still happens some, but not, Nearly as much as it used to. But there was all these stories like you never use the condiments in the comedy condo. And that, what I'm hoping is a rumor got started because John Fox is allegedly the guy who would like jerk off in the mayonnaise and put it back in the refrigerator as a joke. I have no idea if that ever actually happened. But that's like the level of infamous this guy was like i i mean i think he just you know partied like crazy and did coke his entire life and still lived pretty long and uh he uh yeah just people who who were around to work with him have nothing but insane stories i saw him maybe three or four years before he died and he wasn't working that much anymore he was at the Comedy Underground in Seattle, and his act was, I don't think he changed a word of his act 
ever. But it was like, I don't even know if he wrote the jokes. It was just like a bunch of filthy jokes. Um, and he opened, I think he was on Rodney Dangerfield Presents on HBO, which was like a big thing at the time. And he opened that the way he opened every show he ever did. Put on your seatbelts, okay, folks? Here's John Fox. All right, you ready for you now, Johnny, baby? Yeah, ready for you. Okay, Two firemen are butt-fucking in a smoke-filled room. The chief says, what are you doing? He says, sir, this man's got smoke inhalation. He said, well, give him mouth-to-mouth. He says, I did. How do you think this shit got started? I mean, yeah. That's a... (laughs) That's a different time, isn't it? Uh, Like I said, I saw him probably 10 years ago in Seattle... And that's the kind of jokes he was doing. He would also do, he would do crowd work, sort of, but no jokes in it. He would just see someone, someone would walk by, and he would, excuse the vulgarity of this, but this is literally a quote when I was watching, like a waitress walked by and he goes like, nice tits. So a guy walks into a bar. He would just go like go into another joke. It was like he would acknowledge things in the crowd in a vulgar way, and then not really make anything funny about. I mean, it was really bizarre. It was really bizarre. Uh, but for a long time, even when I started going on the road in the early two thousands, he was a special event at clubs. They would bill it as like you know super dirty comedy night, and he you know he crushed. People loved him, but. That wasn't really happening uh, the later he got in life, but he had a good run. I'm going to play, this is, uh, I'm going to play, this is Pat Godwin, who's like a musical comedian on the Bob and Tom radio show, and he wrote a song called uh, The Legend of John Fox, and uh, it's like less than two minutes, but I'm going to play that just to give you a sense of uh, the infamy of John Fox. I'm a traveling comedian. I play a different club each week. They put us up in filthy condos, but man, this one reeks. The toilet's broke. It smells like smoke, stale beer, and dirty socks. Who was the comic that worked here last? Must have been John Fox. (laughs) John Fox. John Fox. Keep him sober and I hear Fox rocks. But he'll trash the place everywhere he stays. (laughs) Smells like ass and cat food. No one's cleaned for days. The VCR and TV's gone. The couch is stained blood red. There's empty Cuervo bottles, a passed out stripper in the bed. Porno tapes, real twisted stuff. Fill a cardboard box. With a label on the top that reads, Property of John Fox. John Fox, funny man John Fox. But if he gets too drunk, the audience walks. He leaves his DNA at every place he stays. 
So don't drink what you think is apple juice or eat the mayonnaise. John Fox, oh, John Fox, singing about the legend, the legend of John Fox. Uh, Zanies, that club in Old Town, has been open since 1978, which is, I mean, there was barely comedy clubs then. That's pretty impressive, and it's, I think, probably 120, 150 at the most is a sellout. It's this tiny little room. They have uh, headshots. I mean, a lot of clubs have headshots, but this this is like wall-to-wall headshots, uh, and some, you know, like Jay Leno with like when he was in his 20s and, uh, you know, Dave Attell with hair and, uh, you know, everyone who's ever been anyone basically uh, has performed at that club. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's pretty cool to have my headshot there right next to the men's bathroom at crotch level. It's pretty nice. Um. And, you know, I've talked about the business of comedy before, and, like, sometimes the best clubs in the country I don't work because they require you to be a draw, meaning, you know, you have to be famous enough to sell a bunch of tickets. And I think the reason, not that it's still not incredibly difficult to headline Zanies, but I think the reason they can, they can get away with having me do it is because it's a landmark and people go there a lot of tourists, a lot of, uh, you know, and, and and if you were a big enough comic, you wouldn't go to Zany's anymore because that's not a, not enough seats for you to make it their, your money. So it's kind of this nice little sweet spot where it's, if not the best, it's like one of the top three rooms I work because of just how cool and the history of it and also just how it's laid out and, and how it sounds and how it feels and, uh, it's uh so it's yeah i'm not um uh, i'm definitely i think i've been there three times now and every time i get booked back i'm like wow i can't <laughs> i mean don't tell them but I, i'm like i can't believe it and uh you know it also pays better than most of the places i go uh so it's uh it's pretty awesome and there's uh upstairs in the green room area they have these uh some old pictures not even pictures uh letters uh this is here's a handwritten letter they have uh up framed on the wall in the green room it says dear burton uh i'm not actually sure who burton is but uh i was given your name and address by shirley himple i've heard many good things about your club and would Enjoy working in Chicago. I'm a very good, clean middle act. Hopefully you'll see that for yourselves. Thank you in advance for considering me, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, P.S. Please keep in mind, this is a business letter. I am much funnier than this. Signed, Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, P.P.S. Someday I'm going to be friends with George Bush, and it's going to make people mad. Wow. I'm surprised she saw that coming. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of history this place has. Back when Ellen DeGeneres was trying to get middle work. Um, and uh, handwritten letter. 
holy shit, I think I've been doing comedy a long time. I never, I mean, I maybe some, I might have typed some things and printed them out and sent them. But, uh, yeah, handwritten letter. That's crazy times. It's crazy because you look at the, you look at the wall of headshots. And like I said, it's, it's, you know, oh, it's Jerry Seinfeld and what Ellen DeGeneres and all these old headshots. And then it's a name you've never heard of. And that's in some ways more fascinating to me because it's like, look at this wall. Some of these people went on to be the biggest stars in the world. And then it's like, who the fuck is Jerry Die? Uh, and yeah, turns out Jerry Dye is a comedian in Chicago and he's still around and he seems to be doing fine. And, uh, he put out an album with Ron White once in truck stops. And, uh, you know, so I just, I, I spent the week like just Googling names that I hadn't heard of. And some of them, uh, some of them were like, you know, writers or producers or, I mean, a lot of them were dead. It's, you know, club's been there since 78, but but some of them are just like sell insurance or, you know, that's almost more fascinating. Like that would be the documentary I would want to watch. Like the first scene is just panning the walls of all the famous people. Eddie Murphy, you know, Chris Rock, Jim Gaffigan, Jerry Seinfeld, and then just a name of someone you never heard of. And then the documentary is about finding the people. Like, what's your story? Did you think you were going to be huge? Or what's your life like now, you know? The only problem with that documentary idea is uh, they might see my picture next to the bathroom and follow me around for a while. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm still trying. I didn't quit or anything. The club here in Rosemont, much different vibe. Like, you know, very modern showroom. Uh and uh, but it's still great it's still it's still a real fun week and uh you know i've been uh doing comedy a long time sometimes i talk to the crowd and sometimes i kind of feel like i know what they're going to say but it's still a surprise sometimes and uh this week uh i met a couple who met in a porta potty are you guys married Oh, that's great. That's great. I remember that from earlier. It was just pretty much her who gave a shit. I'm sorry about that. Good for you. Do you guys argue sometimes? All the time. All the time? Might be too honest, sir. That's fine. They say the first year is the hardest. Like a like a porta potty. Yeah. 
I want to go real slow so I don't fuck this up. Why were you both in there? This is a safe place? Which is like a, an event that I don't know about. Okay, in Chicago. And then, and you, do you both go into the Port of John at the same time? Yes. You did. It was raining. Some say he loves. <laughs> it's a chemical toilet. Uh, did you stay? No, you're a gentleman. You're like, please. And then, so after. The, the, the Porta John, you struck up a conversation? We did, and then he proposed where the Porta John was. <laughs> Sir? Yeah. I've heard some game in my life. <laughs> you got a date out of a Porta Potty. <laughs> so, I re that's respect, sir. That is respect. <laughs> and you also. Have you have something fun to say if you ever get in a bad argument. <laughs> this relationship started in shit! <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't see that coming either. Um, hey, uh, I'm still accepting <laughs> Apple Podcast reviews. If you guys leave me an Apple Podcast review, I'll read it right here on this podcast for hundreds of people to hear. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, I appreciate that every week, but I'm, I'm feeling a little more, uh, after last week, after, uh, a very special episode. Um, so, uh, I really, it does mean a lot to me because it's, it's I don't know what exactly I'm doing, but I do end up sharing a lot of myself. And so when, uh, you guys are okay with that, uh, it feels good. And, um, the important thing is uh, this podcast is free, and it's worth it. Talk to you next week. Show's over. We're done. Bye.